0: Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk person. For those of you here in person, we are on part three of four of a series we're calling Unmendable. It's a series on reconciliation. It's a made up word. It does not work in Scrabble. Don't try it. Uh, I made it up because I wanted to think of, a, I wanted to use uh, a word that would describe relationships that are in the state where we would say kind of too far gone, too far out there, uh, not worth pursuing, uh, not worth reconciling. Um, it was great. It was, uh, it was joy. We had fun. We had scenes in the sun, but it's not anything that I want to pursue any longer. And it feels relevant to, uh, this week for us, uh, for some, a lot, a lot of times it's, it's family related. It doesn't have to be. It can be, it can be a really close relationship that was, uh, with somebody who you're not related to, and it just feels like it's a bummer. But a lot of times, it does have to do with family, and there's extra obligation when it's family because there's like these weird cultural pressures to like get together and eat and eat turkey and do all of the things that are involved with that, especially in a week like this. Um, and so it brings us to a couple of questions when it comes to uh, Unmendable Relationships. Uh, areas where we say, you know, the question of, do we even want to pursue these things? Do we even want to mend these things back together? Um, I, there's some degree I, I want to, or or maybe perhaps you do, the, these kind of nostalgic seasons draw something out of you that says, man, I remember when uh, we used to be close and I do miss that. And I would love, you know, to, to kind of continue that. Uh, a sense of we ought to, you come to a series like this, here's somebody like me open up scripture and I have some sort of religious obligations and you call yourself a Christian or identify in that way or whatever. And so there's like this, like, oh, I probably ought to do something about this, right? So we want to, we ought to, but then the question becomes how to, how do we pull this sort of thing off? And so uh, we, we've said from the very beginning uh, of this thing that we are not just a group of people that have nothing better to do on Sundays other than get together, have our kids wash while we sip on great coffee. Um, that we are a community of people who are trying to figure out what it would look like to live in a way uh, that Jesus taught. Uh, that we feel like that Jesus was an actual person who had uh, insight beyond anything that he was the divine Son of God who who shows up and is is, is recorded for us in Scripture, teaching us a, a certain way. And I, I know that the the events and the circumstances that he went through and the people that he talked to and the the phrases that he used in his uh, parables and his stories and his you know sermons on the mount were to a specific group of people. Uh, but we consider the church the Capital C Church to be an an interpretive community, Uh, meaning we we read this and we get to kind of interpret it. What would it look like for us uh, in in the way that we live out? We don't do this in isolation. We're not the only church that does this. Every church everywhere uh, does this, and the church as a whole does this throughout this thing. So, what does it mean to live in the way of Jesus in 2022 and moving forward? What does it look look, uh, look like in the to? be somebody who uh, operates uh, around unmendable relationships and what and what would the way of Jesus speak into and inform uh, in that way as well. And here's what we do know um, is that Jesus was passionate about this. He talked about forgiveness and he talked about reconciliation a lot. In fact, one of the times he's approached and we said in week one uh, with somebody saying, hey, how often should I forgive uh, this somebody who's hurt me? And then they throw out this number that they think is kind of big. And Jesus is like, like, add a zero to it, man. You just This is who you should be. You should be a people of forgiveness, you should be a people of reconciliation. And then what he does is he goes into a parable because he knows sometimes it's not good enough to tell us cause we're kind of dumb. And so it's like, you, you tell us something, but like, you gotta show us in stories. We gather so much in stories. So then he goes into this parable about this servant who was owed an enormous sum of money, who was forgiven that and then turns and then asks somebody who owes him 20 bucks and says, and doesn't have, doesn't extend any sort of grace that he has just received. Feels like in the story, he like left from the building of being forgiven an insurmountable sum of money and then goes directly to this person. It's like, give me my fifty bucks you owe me. And, and Jesus says, Look at that! Look at that! What, what what kind of a person is that? And he's drawing that to us, saying he, he's he's like, this is a parable. It's a once in, you know once upon a time sort of thing. But we have done that. We have been given. We have been forgiven so much. We have been reconciled on such a on a, on such a grand manner. For then us to go have eat issues and beefs with with people with human beings. Um in kind of like this meaningless, like it's just a dumb thing. It was like this one one time, there's this it was one circumstance or whatever, and we just can't let it go. We hold hold on to things, we harbor things, we tuck things away, we keep them as weapons. Uh this time of uh, of year, especially when people are coming over, we're just like, you know, kind of sharpening our knives or whatever. And this is a big week. I mean, this is this is where we 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 understand, like this is um this is a uh, one of those spots where people are going to come through. They're going to have all these ideals. We, we've said that for the last couple of years, there's been the COVID excuse. Well, we'd love to get together, but we just can't, right? Uh, until these vaccinate, until all this whatever's done or whatever fixed up. And now, now there's no excuse. Now we're like, well, we got to go out. So they're going to know something's wrong. And you know what's going to happen. Something's going to be said. A door is going to be open and be like, hey, guess who just got out of Twitter jail? And you'll be like, get the door closed. We're done. Or, you know, it's all kinds of like... These types of things are, are, are on the horizon for us. And what what we can infer is that there's gonna be a great deal of humility needed to move forward with this kind of thing. And that, that's something that we're not necessarily good at uh, the, the piece, or I, I'm not good at it, maybe you are, but the the humility piece of this, to recognize if I'm gonna move forward with this, if I'm gonna be somebody who is a person of reconciliation, a person uh, of forgiveness, that it becomes natural, because that's, that's, that's the concept that Jesus is trying to say. This should be a natural thing. Our default reaction, our reaction to this should be towards forgiveness, not to holding on to bitterness and harboring uh, ill will towards people, but to be people who are quick to forgive, who it's just natural because of where we come from. And at the end of the parable, he ties it into our bigger picture relationship with our heavenly father he says listen somebody who's not good at this somebody who doesn't do this well somebody somebody whose default reaction is not forgiveness and reconciliation is probably not in a position to fully uh, comprehend and understand what they have been forgiven not fully uh, not fully uh, aware of the depth and the, the the extent into which they've been reconciled to their heavenly father so there's like this weird mystical connection between uh, that relationship and how how we deal with the horizontal thing about us and God and how we deal with the, whole, the, or sorry, the vertical thing with us and God and the horizontal thing with us and other people, especially people that we know, love, care for and are related to. And as, as an extra motivation, uh, just for why this is important and why this is something that you should work through and actually think about uh, and deal with is, I mentioned uh, sometimes th- things are better caught than taught. Um, Jesus can teach he'll, he'll tell you principles, but then oftentimes he shares goes into parables and stories because we learn in parables and stories um, and this is this is true for your family too right um, you, you've talked to your kids, you can tell your kids some things but sometimes you got to show them like they're gonna catch some things living with you that that um, that, that they might not be uh, aware of or not not fully grasp until you kind of work this thing you need listen if you have kids, you need to be good at mending unmendable relationships. They need to see. How you don't set up walls, set up obstacles, cross your arms and say, well, it's their op, is their move. They move first. I've done everything that I can. They know where we live. They know my phone number. Why don't they call on me? Because what is that going to communicate to them when it comes to your relationship with them at some future date? They've lived with you. They've watched you. This is how you handle relationships with people who are not related to you. And then when something comes up in your relationship with them as kids, probably when they get to be adults, and they know that there's something that, you know, there's some sort of conflict. There's some sort of thing. They know this is how mom does things. This is how dad, they're sitting over there. They're waiting for me to call. I'm not going to call either. Nobody takes the first move. If if you're not if, if you're not good at this, they're going to understand this, they're going to catch that. They're going to be they're going to operate in the same way. This is how this is how we come from. This is what the like the nurture sort of nature sort of thing. They get to see behind the scenes for you. They get to see how you deal with absorbing loss and absorbing pain and choosing the higher path of humility. And if they can see that model, then perhaps they'll be better at mending unmendable relationships with you at a future date. So there's added motivation there, especially if you're a parent. And oftentimes, we're not good at this. I mean, how we often we teach our kids, and the, the words that we say is, you know, if something happens to, you know, in between these kids, and we say, hey, 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 come over here. Come over here. You know, tell your sister you're sorry, right? And what do they say? Sorry. And you're like, okay, go. Back to whatever you want to do. That's fine, right? And then we go, and then, and then you get this look from your spouse. They're like, that's not good enough. And you're like, get back here. Get back here. That's right. That's not good enough. Get over here. You need to use a pronoun with this. Who's sorry? I'm sorry. Say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And then you got, And then, then you go, okay, that's good. And then, th- then she looks at you again. You're like, no, for what? What are you sorry for? <laughs> it's like this whole thing, right? You have to practice this kind of thing because you're training your kids. In the 18 years that they have to live under your roof, you're doing what you can to help them reconcile relationships and learn to forgive and learn to be a person of, of this, whether they're religious or not. This is, uh, or you're religious or not, or re- trying to raise them in a religious way. This is like, Good human beings, sort of stuff, right? Uh, and, and so, this is critically important. And so, we 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 need to be good at this. We need to be good at this. We need to be people, especially if we call ourselves Christian and fallen in the way. We we need to be people of forgiveness and people of reconciliation. Now, I've used that word kind of interchangeably throughout the series, and I've mentioned a couple of times that I think that there's, it's like step one and step two, and I don't think that you can get to step two until you do step one. I think that step one is forgiveness. I think that step two is reconciliation. Uh, Forgiveness can be done at a distance. Reconciliation has to do with proximity and like a a redemption of the relationship. There's kind of sort of a mending, sort of a, a path moving forward where maybe things aren't exactly the same that they used to be because of the hurt and pain, but there's a redemption there. We're still friends. There's still hurt and pain and, and, and whatever, but um, we're, we're moving forward forward with this. Um, which is great. That's awesome. I and mean, that's picture. Those are the things that movies are written about and stories are written about. And those are the kind of relationships that you want, right? This is, I want a re- reconciled relationship, but sometimes they don't always get there. Sometimes we get stuck in the forgiveness phase. And here's the thing about forgiveness. I do think that forgiveness, if you're a follower of Christ, it's not an option. I, I think that uh, the way that he talks about forgiveness is... Um, and with some caveats that we're going to be talking about in just a moment, forgiveness is is expected. It's it's part and parcel of the way we 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 move forward. It's uh, we cannot choose not to forgive. It's not an optional thing for us. We get to. Um we have to figure out what it means and what it looks like, and it probably looks different in a lot of different ways. But some of the most powerful stories of people who have been hurt dramatically by by, by people. Um, uh, there was a, a, a shooting not too long ago from uh, in, in this church, and this this white supremacist goes into this black church and kills a bunch of people. And these 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 people come out afterwards, and they they go to his his sentencing, and they're looking at him like, We we choose to forgive you. How do we how do we choose? And that's that's like oh my gosh, like that. How do you get there? how, how in the world? And for them, it was like we just this is. This is our, our, uh, this is a religious conviction for us that so we have to figure out how to forgive. Now, a couple of things that you need to know about forgiveness, right? What is exactly, we're gonna define it and then maybe help, maybe in the definition of what forgiveness is, it'll help draw the contrast as to what is reconciliation and why those two things. Why you can have forgiveness but not reconciliation, but not reconciliation without forgiveness and why we're all called to this. Um, first and foremost, to forgive is to deny oneself revenge. To forgive is to say, I'm not gonna choose to avenge myself on this. I'm gonna choose to instead absorb the pain or absorb the cost at it. it is not to deny that something took place that cost something. Um, I'm gonna choose to absorb the cost. I'm choosing to forgive you. When you hit my car on the way out of the parking lot, please don't, but if you did and I chose to forgive you, I'm choosing to live with a car that is now dented, right? I'm choosing to live with the scratches that are involved in this. It's not to act like that thing didn't happen or you'd be like, it, they, it just magically goes away. Um, but but it would be my, my, my choice to say, I, I forgive you. I'm not going to seek vengeance. I'm not going to go back in this way. Not to seek to get back at or the desire to get even. So when we say, I think you're all required to get forgive, I think that there's something in us that goes, all right, I'm gonna choose not to avenge myself. I'm I'm gonna choose not to play this quid pro quo game. I'm not gonna choose to play that you hit me, I hit you back, but because you initiated the hit, I get to hit back a little bit harder because we know where that leads. We've played that game together with our siblings growing up. She punched me, so what'd you do? I smacked her back, you know? And well, she said she was like a level seven and you did like a level nine. Well, you know, it's who's to say, right? And it's like these games that we play. And we, we, we know it's a, it's, that's, a, that's a deep, dark trajectory that it goes down and it's not healthy for anybody involved in this. To forgive is to refuse to see someone one-dimensionally in terms of the, that one thing that they've done to you. I read that this week in a, a new book that uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, wrote uh, about, the title is called Forgive. And, and he wrote, it's, it's choosing to not view somebody one-dimensionally only through the lens of what they've done. Because that is a tendency for us. When we've been hurt, especially by somebody, then everything that they do is tainted by that that lens or that I, I view them by that. It, then, then even when they do good, I question their motives in it. Even when they when they uh, are, are do something completely irrelevant over here, it's like, well, yeah, but they were still the ones that. It's it's crazy how it kind of works itself into it. There's a uh, an author named Miroslav Wolf who uh, is, has comes from a Croatian, Croatian uh, background. And uh, during that time, there was some warring going on and some atrocities, war atrocities committed. Uh, and he wrote this book called Ex- uh, Exclusion and Embrace about forgiveness and not forgiveness in, I'm sorry, I said those hurtful things to you. Uh, forgiveness in terms of, uh, you know, genocidal acts, uh, uh, war, um, a horrible kind of... Uh, things that we can't even imagine. Again, those scenarios where we would say, I can't imagine what it would look like to choose the forgiveness option there. Whatever that is, that's what he writes about in this. And he wrote this, forgiveness flounders because I exclude my enemy from the community of humans even as I exclude myself from the community of sinners. Here's the problem that I have. When I, when, when I, when I don't choose forgiveness, when I hold on to something, what I'm doing is, is I'm excluding that person from the community of humanity. They're like almost subhuman. The way that they think, the way that they do things, who thinks like that? Who does that? I'm going to choose not to forgive because I can't see that, that they're like, they're subhuman in that way. And then in the same process, with the same hand that I do this with, I'm also excluding myself from a community of sinners. I'm saying, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not a part of that. He's like, that's just, it's a broken way of doing things. It's a broken, broken process. Uh, Keller has a list and I I think it's really important because I do feel like I want to make sure in a series like this that I don't, you know, uh, hit too softly in terms of forgiveness and ask you to do something that, you know, your counselor's like, Hey, who said that to you? Who said you should do what? Like, don't listen, don't go to what church. Is this what's his name? Um, so let me, let me provide some, some definitions of what, uh, forgiveness is not that I think will help define some of this. Forgiveness is not excusing somebody. When I forgive, I'm not saying it didn't happen or you're not at fault for doing it. Um, when I, when I choose to forgive, the at-fault piece um, isn't really on the table. Like, I can still forgive you, and you can still be the one who hit my car. I can still be the one who hit me, and you can still be the person who said those things or did those things. Um, so I'm, I'm not saying what you did caused no harm, and I did not absorb anything, any pain. I'm not carrying any baggage as a result of what you did. I may still, but... Um, so it's, it's very, very clear to say that that's not it. It's not denying or whitewashing, denying that it happened or whitewashing it, downplaying the pain of it. When I choose to forgive, I'm not saying what you did was like, eh, it wasn't that bad. You know, we figured it out, right? It can be really bad. You can actually have done it. Like, this is a thing. I'm not, uh, it, forgiveness is not only refraining from active revenge. Active revenge mean, um, we said forgiveness is choosing not to avenge myself. But we can sometimes attach a timeline to that and say, I'm not gonna choose, I'm choosing not to avenge myself right now. But I am gonna hold this against you forever, right? Ever. I will never see you the same, right? That's not active revenge. Oh, right now I'm good. Like, we're good. Are we good? Yeah, we can shake hands. We can go away. But I'm holding on to something that's gonna linger. That's, you know, forgiveness is not only refraining from active revenge. Forgiveness is not suspending judgment. I forget you this time, but I am keeping count. I am letting you know, oh, okay. And next time this happens, I'll be like, man, I'm just, am I gonna do this again? Because um, look at look at how much you owe me already, right? Uh, forgiveness is not weaponizing, condescending mercy. Weaponizing, condescending mercy, meaning I'm gonna operate in mercy. I'm gonna choose to forgive you. And then when they come back and do it again or, or do something different or do something unrelated completely and be like, man, I've already forgiven you so much. You expect me to do it again? After all I've forgiven you? How dare you? And it's very, very clear that you've been using this and not really letting this go. This was not truly forgiven. You keep replaying this even in your own mind, or you keep bringing it up in the relationship. So it's not truly forgiven. It's not abandoning justice. Forgiveness is not abandoning justice. Even that that scenario where this young man was sentenced uh, for the the shooting, it wasn't like these people are going, "Uh, we've forgiven him. Please don't do anything to him. He's fine. Let him walk. It's not that. It's I'm choosing to forgive you now. There are going to be consequences to this decision that are going to take place because we're having justice for the victims of this thing and also for the perpetrator. We don't want you to to think that this was okay, that nothing really happened, that you're good to go, that there was no no foul, no harm, no foul. It does not mean that forgiveness does not mean abandoning justice, and it does not mean immediate trust. It does not mean just because I've chosen to forgive you now, if I withhold trust from you, that means you truly haven't forgiven me. No, no, no. Until a person shows evidence of true change, we should not trust. That person. Those are all in play. But forgiveness is still incredibly important, in spite of the fact that it's not any of these things. Forgiveness is something that we are invited to, called to, expected to figure out how and what that means and what that looks like for us, in spite of the pain, in spite of the fact that we probably will now walk around life, perhaps with a limp for the rest of our life because of the way that we've been hurt. But I'm not going to allow, I'm not going to choose not to forgive because here's what I know about that. When I choose not to forgive, I harbor something against that person and I still, I'm allowing them to kind of control me in that process still after all of this. I still think about things through the way that they look at me or they're going through this, or I, I still factor in what I'm like th- th- this relationship's broken with this family member, so I'm going to show up Thursday at this time because they're leaving at this time. It's going to affect my relate my kids' relationship with their kids and all kinds of different stuff. I'm choosing to say, you know what? That's not it at all. Now, again, we we, we said okay, that's if that's forgiveness. Reconciliation is something more. Reconciliation is a, a moving forward of this process. Uh, reconciliation is a redeemed relationship. Reconciliation is. Uh, after, it comes after. You can only get to step two by going through step one. And it is the bonding of this. It is a moving forward of this. It is a, this has happened. It's going to inform our relationship. However, I'm, I don't want this to be the end of our relationship. I want life. I want the paths of our life to somehow be connected in some way, shape or form. It will be shaped and informed by that hurt and that pain and the cost that I bear, but I'm choosing to move forward. Uh, with this. It's about a restored, redeemed form of relationship. And what I've said from the very beginning in this series is um, that you, ca- you should not, you can, but you should not enter into uh, a forgiveness, reconciliation sort of relationship with reconciliation as the goal. As in, we will only be good. We'll measure this in my, is does this work if we, it, it only works. So the win is if we do life together after this. Because the reality is, uh, that you do not control all of the pieces in this sort of relationship. Then, when it comes to life beyond this or life after this, you get to do some of the part, you get to do some of the heavy lifting. Probably if you're a Christian, most of the heavy lifting is, is what you're called to do. But they're their own person as well. They get to decide. They have their own say on whether there is something beyond this whether we will continue to choose to be friends or have some sort of a connection after this. That's gonna be a little bit on them. You can only go so far. And and, and Paul is gonna liken this to our relationship with our heavenly father who comes 99% of the way, but there is some sort of a, you've gotta want something too. And if you don't want it, I'm not gonna force myself on you because we've all been in those relationships where people have agenda in relationships. And when people have agenda coming into relationships, it's gross. You know that, you've seen that. You like them because they have a pool. You like them because they have a boat. Like, that's just gross. You know, you like them for this, for that and the other thing. You like them because they've got money or access or influence or, you know, fame or something like that. It's just gross. It's not fun. So in the same way, we don't want to do this. The goal then for us, the goal cannot be reconciled relationships. The goal is no regrets. The goal is living with the conviction that I did everything that I could and I'm going to continue to do that and I'm going to check myself all the time. And so we said last week, um, there's some homework that you got which I'm sure you all completed because you guys are amazing. And so um, uh, it was basically to kind of put this Bible verse, this scripture verse, this this thought from Paul. He wrote a, a letter to a, a church in Rome, a church that he had really no relationship with. At that point, he was just trying to kind of uh, you know help and be an external voice of, of wisdom for them. And in chapter 12, verse 18, he said this, and this is a difficult one. It's really been the theme for this entire series. If you could say what's the you know theme verse for Unmendable Relationships. If it is at all possible, and it might not be. Again, I, this is his big caveat. If it's at all possible, and it might not be, depending on the situation, depending on how much the hurt was there, depending on if they're still with us, they might be. They might be dead. You can forgive somebody from a distance. You can forgive them even if they're not currently living on this side of 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 being of existence. But there's no there's no reconciliation there, right? Because there's no moving forward on that. But if it is at all possible, as far as it depends on you, as much as the ball is in your car, for as much as you can possibly do, be at peace with everybody. And that does not necessarily mean live at peace with them because again, there might not be any reconciliation. There might not be anything beyond that, but you are, I'm at peace. I know I did what I could. As far as it was on me, I went to the extent of my ability. My responsibility is to remove every obstacle that I can in this. So Paul's not done with this. In fact, I think what we're gonna go through today is kind of a bigger picture. He, he's, he's, he's given some practical examples. And in a letter to a Corinthian church this time, a different sort of area, um, he really harps on this idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation. And uh, the Corinthian church is one that he had had a relationship with, um, had been a part of the you know the starting of it, and, and operated as kind of an external advisor. Um, there, there seems to be a a series of correspondence between the two of them. They would write with, "Hey, here's some issues we're going through. What's your advice on this?" Um, he would write back, and then what we have are not their letters to him, but we have his letters to uh, to them. And we don't even have all of them. It's very, very clear that there were probably letters that preceded this one and even probably went beyond this one. Um, but this is one of the ones that we have. And the church kept them because they felt like this is really good advice, not just for us, but perhaps for other people who are going through things with us. And a lot of different churches did that, and eventually the capital C church collected all of the, all of these letters, canonized them, in what's known as the New Testament. And some of Paul's letters makes what known is known as the New Testament. But they weren't books. He didn't write. Sit down and write. He didn't sit down one day and be like, "I want to." You know what I want to do? I want to be a part of the Bible. I'm going to start writing the Bible. He wrote. These are just letters of advice that that people took and go. This is really good. This might be good for successive generations, and therefore we have Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eighteen. Here's what it says. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the assignment of reconciliation. Everything that we have here is from God who reconciled, who has been in the business of reconciling all of creation to himself since the beginning, since creation went awry, since the Genesis story. For them, this was the story of how things went wrong. This is how we have distanced ourselves and rebelled and leveraged our free will for not the relationship that we want, but have taken creation out of this way. And ever since, he's been in the business of reconciling it back to himself, moving towards us to the point of sending his son to die on a cross for us unto himself and Therefore, Paul says, we are in the ministry. That's one of the translations say, we are in the ministry of reconciliation. The reason I didn't use that word in this is because ministry sounds like another thing that the church needs to do on Fridays, right? Or some programmatic thing of, oh, that's really good. We, should, we have a ministry of, uh, of feeding the homeless. We have a ministry of, of wear love. We should have a ministry of reconciliation, right? You should do this. You should, have, you should have a room where people who are in fundamental relationships can show up. We can throw all of our stuff on a wall and you can be the third party mediator. That sounds terrible to me. So we're not gonna do that. <laughs> You should you should by the way, the church the church is just people. This church is not this, you know, Brent and the staff members. This is the church that we are called to be a part of the message or the assignment. we have the assignment of reconciliation. that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed us to the message of reconciliation that he, he says this. This is not like one more thing to add to your to-do list. Make sure you read the Bible. Make sure you tra- you know train your kids and bring them to church. Make sure you memorize all the homework that Brent assigns to you. And then make sure that if you get around to it, re- reconciliation, like this is like, this is part and parcel. This is the whole thing. This is the key. This is not an optional thing. Now, if, if you're not a Christ follower, if if you're just kind of here because somebody you know bribes you to lunch afterwards, or watching this, or whatever, on your own time, or doing your own thing, then this is for you. All, you get the benefit of just weighing this out and figuring out if this is a better way to do life than the way that you're currently doing life. And the bonus for you is you get to look at me like, am I better to you know hold on and, and harbor resentment towards people, or is am I you know is, is it better in my opinion or my experience? Um, people who forgive seem to live more fulfilled lives, and you get to do that based on kind of experience and, and what you look at in the world. But for us, if you call yourself a Christian, this is like, this is an all skate for us. This is like, we, 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 get, we have to participate in this. This is, this is part of the rules of this, that we've been given the assignment of reconciliation. He's committed us to the message of reconciliation, which means we've got a couple of decisions to make two decisions in particular. Number one, I will make the first move regardless of who moved away first. I am going to choose to make the first move regardless of who moved away first. You've got your version of the story. I'm sure they have their version of the story. And if we sat down and you gave me your version of the story, most of the time it's it's probably them who moved away first. So, and that's fine. And, and you, and, and a rational sort of person thinks through it and go, well, if they move, then it's kind of on them to move back because I haven't done anything. I've just been here the whole time, right? So uh, as a way of sort of talking you into it, let me just highlight this about something, all right? The more mature person in a relationship typically makes the first move towards reconciliation. Do you agree that that's true? The more mature person typically makes the first move towards reconciliation. Now, who's the more mature person in your relationship? You are, right? You are, always. I've never met anybody that's been like, I'm, I'm the less mature person in this. Everybody pre- comes and meets and says, well, here's what happened, and, and I'm going to tell you what happened, and you're going to totally see my side of things, and you're going to agree they're being freaking immature about this, aren't they? Like, this is ridiculous. Who's the more mature person in this? Aren't you the person? Every side of the story I've ever heard. Now, you're not proud of everything that you've said, but what you said was in response to something that they said that was exponentially worse. So therefore, again, they are the less less mature person in this. The more mature person typically goes first. So like, go first. I'm gonna choose to be the person who moves first, even if I wasn't the person who moved last. Even if I wasn't the first person who moved away from this sort of thing. There was an interesting story that I uh, came across about uh, Abraham Lincoln, who had, who appointed a guy named Salmon Chase to uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, but they had had a history before. Salmon Chase uh, was Secretary of the Treasury and had undermined Lincoln in a previous uh, in, in previous stuff and leading up to his election and, and, uh, some different things. So it had undermined him in a way and he gets up to there and then he appoints him as like one of the highest positions in the land, <laughs> like super powerful. In fact, you know, in terms of our structure of, of government, like almost equal power, I mean, head of executive branch, head of judicial branch, that's a big deal. And so when people came up to Abraham Lincoln, I'm like, did you realize that you nominated this? I'm sure you did, um, but you guys have a history together. Like what in the world? How how could you look past this? And Abraham Lincoln responded with this. I should despise myself if I allowed personal differences to affect my judgment of his fitness for the office. Like the degree of maturity in that sort of response, the persona, the level of character in that response is immense. Uh And we sit there and we contrast that with what we see currently politically and we go, that would just never happen. And not only would it never happen in political office, it wouldn't happen in my life either. Do you know what I mean? I'll give you an example. I mean, this is a story that is personal and I've told it here before, but my wife and I got engaged in December like 18 years ago. I flew her to New York City. We proposed on the ice skating rink at Rockefeller Center. It was beautiful. And uh, and when she came back, she was at school in Seattle. I was living over here working for my dad, so we had this three-hour distance. And we'd call and talk every once in a while. And I remember I get a call one day, and she was, "Hey, listen, something happened, but you know, let me let me explain. Uh, this guy showed up and put these flowers, these roses, on my doorstep with a card that says, um, you know, I know you're engaged. Congratulations, but like engaged ain't married. Basically, is what it said. And <laughs> And I just, I'd, I'd be, I'd feel horrible if I never gave myself like one last shot to ask you out. And she's like, I just wanted you to know, I didn't like, I, was, I haven't been pursuing anything like this. I have no idea where this came from. This is completely out of left field. And I remember uh, on this side, on the other side of the phone going, okay right? As you do, okay. Uh, being frustrated, being angry, being whatever, and, and all, all like the emotions going through this. And this would have been like, this guy now takes a job working for me. And I'm like, you know what? We'll just put it, you know, put him, you know, in, in some sort of executive office. There's no way on God's green earth that would have ever happened. Listen, I prayed for that guy every day. But do you know what I prayed for? Facial warts, explosive diarrhea, flat tires, all kinds of things. Not once did I pray success in life, Uh, fulfillment uh, in his job, in his career. I pray that he finds a vocation that is qual- like no way. I am not Abraham Lincoln. I'm not even close to Abraham Lincoln. There is so much le- level of uh, less of a level of uh, maturity in this, uh, and and that's just that's just real. So that's me being honest, saying I'm preaching to you something that I'm I I hope that I would live up to. I have no idea if I would. Right, not in that position at this moment. But like, listen, I, I the most mature person in the nation goes first, regardless of, of who moved away first. You need to choose, I need to choose that when it comes to these amendable relationships. I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, even though even though I'm in the right, I know that I am. I, even though I know it's their job, even though if it's completely third party neutral on this situation, be like, well, sounds, kind of sounds like it's on them. Be like, I know, I know, but I'm gonna choose to do this. I'm gonna be the more mature one. And then number two, I will keep the door open and the welcome mat out. I will keep the door open. The second decision you've gotta make is I'm gonna keep the door open and the welcome mat out for this. Now, here's the deal, listen. Um, there are, when it comes to this kind of reconciliation, and and not everyone who deserves forgiveness from you deserves reconciliation. Uh, And and especially if there's been, uh, you know, examples of unsafe physical stuff or unsafe emotional stuff, uh, that's really, really deep. That needs to be figured out. This is just like beginner steps, man. That's like, you know, to talk to counsel. Please don't come to me like, well, my pastor said, you know. And you're like doing, some, and every, everyone in your life is like, no, no. Who's your pastor? What is he saying to you? No, no, no. Listen, I get it. I un- I understand that there are there are definitely examples where this is uh, this, especially this next step of reconciliation is not uh, not even in the cards and not on the table, but. Um, let's not be too quick to put so many things into the ca- that category because I think that, that that's probably the danger that we have versus the opposite. The other one can be true, but this is kind of more true uh, for us. Um, and I'm, I'm going to choose to do my part to keep the, the door open and the welcome mat out. And I'm not going to wait until a funeral to say nice things about somebody. That's not going to be my story. I've seen that story too many times in too many different things. I'm going to choose instead to win the person, not the argument. I'm going to be the type of person who goes through life not allowing non-forgiveness to dominate me and control me. I'm going to choose forgiveness because that's on me, and I can even do that from a distance. And when it comes to reconciliation, I'm going to choose to be the first person who moves first. I'm going to leave the door open to welcome them out in case they ever want to turn back. And I'm going to win the person, not the argument. I just, the argument's not worth winning. Who, who cares? It doesn't matter. I'm probably right. Everybody would agree. I'm right. I'm so much more mature, but I'm not going to hold that on them. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to choose this this path that is going to require immense amounts of humility from me moving forward. And it's going to be especially difficult. And this week, it might be really, really difficult for you. And if it's not this week, it's going to be sometime soon. It's going to be something in the future where there's going to be some difficult things going on with this. And again, I close this out with this. If you're not a Christian, you get to weigh this and figure out if this works for you. All all that matters for you is pragmatism, right? Is this better than the alternative, right? I understand that. And, and I don't know perhaps why, you know, what it is that are obstacles for your belief, because you're like, I this is I'm working through this. I'm not sure I'm gonna do it out of a motivation from a religious standpoint. I totally understand that. You've got your own story, you've got your own things that you've worked through, you've got your reasons for believing and not believing about things. And if I was in your shoes and heard your story, I might believe the same thing exactly. But Paul doesn't let us leave us alone in this. He has one last, if you'll kind of, if you'll think about it and if you'll do this, here's here's his closing statement in terms of the reconciliation work of God through Christ in us, us being assigned to do this. Then he says this in verse 20, we implore you on Christ's behalf. We, who's, who's he saying we with? This authority that he thinks I have based on the church and, and, and any sort of leadership with, with this sort of thing. We as a whole, we as the church implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. But to first and foremost, understand that you, when you go through this and when you're dealing with this, recognize that this is happening on a micro level uh, the and it's stressing the reality of what's happening on a macro level, that God's crazy about you, that God is trying to do everything in, within his power to reconcile all of creation and that includes you back unto himself. That when we receive communion, one of the elements of communion that we do when we take and we'll take it next week is that we never have to wonder what God thinks about us. We never have to wonder if he's like, are we cool? He's like, you you never you don't have to think about that. I sent my son to die on a cross because I'm because I know <clears throat> that sin <clears throat> separates us, that in my presence, sin has no belonging. <clears throat> and in your life, if there's anything of like that, it's gonna feel like there's separateness. So I'm sending my son to. To 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 die on a cross to, to to absolve that to 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 free you from that sin, so that we can be in relationship with with you, so that we can be in a reconciled relationship, a relationship that has been broken but it's been redeemed, and the reason it's been redeemed is because of the life of Christ and his death, and and we set, and that's why we celebrate, and that's what we do, and he's crazy about you, and he's crazy about me, and he will do everything with his power. He always keeps the door open and the welcome mat out. He always makes the first move, regardless of whether we moved away or not. He's not waiting for us going, you moved away first. So like, you know where I'm at, Sunday mornings, right? 1300 Jadwin Avenue, right? That's where I'm at. Just kidding. Anywhere. He, he doesn't do that. That's not his attitude. He is in the business of reconciliation. And if we, if we then call ourselves Christ followers, then we are in that business as well. So a couple of questions for you to continue the conversation as we move forward. Things that I've tried to do this at the end of this series specifically because I wanted you to have some handoffs, um, some things to take home, process through. If you came with a significant other, these would be great things to talk about over lunch, over coffee, uh, over dinner. If you've got a, a friend who is uh, attends the church or a family member or whatever who is willing to watch online or do whatever, these would be great things to be like. All right, for me, for me though, like let's dial this down to me and my you know ex person that I that that I'm that I'm talking about in specifics. Here we go. Uh, Three simple questions. Number one: In what ways am I most tempted to forgive in an incomplete way? I mentioned forgiveness is not this. It's not you know keeping keeping score of this. It's not bringing this up. It's not forgiveness, but like I'm gonna let you know, I'm gonna remind you often how much I've done for you. Um, It's not uh, you know excusing. It's not what's my what's my typical way of doing this? I tend to forgive and excuse people and make them feel like they haven't done anything wrong. I I tend to not make them uh, realize. That there was actual pain that had, had to be absorbed, and it's me. I've kind of taken, I've relieved them of that burden. That, that, that's my, my sort of thing, right? So there's a lot of different ways uh, that you can do this, but stylistically, for you, your personality with your kind of, and, and your significant other, your friend, your best friend might know this better about you than you even know about yourself. You say one thing and they're like, that's not it. I mean, it's clearly this, right? You know this, right? You know this about you, and you're like, I had no idea. All right, number two, what is the mature first move I need to make in an unmendable relationship this week? What does that look like? What is the mature first move that you need to make moving forward? And then number three, to close this out, how can I remind myself to win the person, not the argument? Win the person, not the argument. Maybe it's like on the doorstep of this home on Thursday as you're about to cross the threshold into this environment where you know that it's gonna start off fine, but every once once, once the food gets going, the wine gets flowing, something happens and it all can kind of, if the Dallas game goes well, it goes one way. If it goes the other way, it doesn't go great. All that kind of stuff, right? Um, win the person, not the argument. <sighs> win the person, not the argument. And then I enter in, and then I go into these types of things. I'm, I'm not going to choose to be like, well, I'm I'm right. You know, I know that I'm right, right? The person, the relationship, this thing, this reconciled relationship moving forward is more important than being right. It just is. Win the person, not the argument. May we. Be the type of people who go through life undoubtedly encountering unmendable or seemingly unmendable things, but given the resources and the tools of having experienced this on a macro level in our life, be able to play this out on a micro level in our relationships that are important to us. May that work with you this week. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would guide us into this, that this is not easy stuff, that this is heavy lifting. Um, and as heavy as this lifting is, may we in that be reminded of how much uh, you pursue our uh, relationship and reconciliation with us. And may that be an inspiring, fueling thing for us. And may you uh, help us figure out what it looks like, practically speaking, on an on, on, on tangible level this week. Give us the wisdom to know what it looks like, curses you something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, EastLakeTriCities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri Cities in your favorite app store.